Have you ever thought about the fact that God wants you to be spiritually great? I think sometimes as Christians, we don't think about that enough. But I want to put before you that God wants each Christian to be great. He wants you to be all that he saved you to be. He's not asking you to be the next Apostle Paul, but he does want you to reach your full potential in Jesus Christ. God wants to rescue us from our own ambitions and instead conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. Paul's prayer report that's in this passage reflects that God wants you to be great. That God wants you to be great. And when he makes these petitions for these Christians, that they would be strengthened, that they would be able to comprehend, and that they would be filled and full. What he's really saying when we understand it is that he's praying that these Christians and even us will be all that God saved us to be. God does not want us to be defeated in our walk with him. God does not want us discouraged. God doesn't want us to walk around with our heads bowed down. He wants us to be spiritually great, not to do great miracles, but to live the life that he has called us to live. And we're not trying to be the greatest among each other. We're trying to be great in the eyes of God. We want to understand greatness from God's point of view and not from the world's point of view. From God's point of view, he saved you. And he wants you to experience all that he saved you to be. He wants you to reach your full potential. And so we're looking at this prayer of Paul, this prayer report. He's telling the Ephesians what he prays for with regards to them. He has heard about their faith in Christ. He's heard about their love. And he says, look, I cry out to the Father. And my prayer for you is that the Father would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might, by his spirit, through his spirit, in the inner man. Why? So that Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, may be at home in your life. Is Christ welcomed in your life? Is Christ comfortable with your life? Paul says, I, I want you to be strong spiritually. So that the Lord Jesus Christ can be comfortable when it comes to the things that you see with your eyes. When it comes to the things that you hear with your ears. When it comes to the things that you speak with your mouth. When it comes to the things that you do with your hands. Is the Lord Jesus Christ at home? Is he comfortable? Is he welcome? Is he relaxed in light of how you and I are living? That was Paul's first petition, but today we want to look at his second petition, the second cry of this great 
prayer on spiritual greatness. Paul will make three petitions, but today I just want us to zero in on this second one. This past week, I was reading kind of the introduction to a book on Psalm 23, and nowadays when you buy a book, everybody endorses it, and you read page after page after page regarding the endorsement. And so one individual wrote uh, as an endorsement with regards to this book on Psalm 23 that there's really two ways that you can study the Bible. One way is like clipping down a motorway, transversing big chunks, getting the sweep of the story. No, just flying through. And some of us do that each morning. We fly through a couple chapters. Don't really understand it, but we've gone through it. That's one way to study the Bible. But he says another way to study the Bible is like milking a cow. That is, you just sit there with one text, and you keep pulling and squeezing. Well, you know which approach I'm taking. Uh, We are at this text. We are going slowly through it. I just want us to keep pulling. I want us to keep pulling and and keep uh, trying to let the truth of this prayer sink deep within our hearts. This is a marvelous prayer, not just because of what Paul is praying, because it lets us know what God wants for us. And so today, I just want us to focus in on that second petition, the petition that the believers be able to comprehend, that the believers be able to understand. And the petition begins in the last part of verse 17 and goes all the way to verse 19. And let me just read it again. Paul says, in that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. This is Paul's second petition. And in reality, he is petitioning God to make these Christians at Ephesus great. Paul is not content, he's not happy with these Christians just being saved and going to heaven. He wants them to live the abundant life. And and living that abundant life, first of all, means that Christ is at home in your heart, you're spiritually strong. But secondly, it means that you're able to comprehend, that you're able to understand. And when you look at the end of verse 17, and you look, well, verse 18, and also the beginning of verse 19, Paul uses two words. He says, to comprehend and to know. To comprehend and to know. That is, he's saying, I want you to be knowledgeable. I want you to use your mind as a Christian. Don't take your mind and check it before you come into the worship service. Yes, we sing with our heart, we sing with emotion, but we also worship God with our mind. And one of the tragic things in some of our churches is that we have put so much 
emphasis on emotions and very little emphasis on the mind. And it's not either or. God is not saying come and be a spiritual deadbeat when you worship him. We are to rejoice. We are to be excited, etc. But God is also saying, use your mind. And Paul's saying to, God, to the Ephesians, I'm praying for you. I'm praying particularly for your mind that you might comprehend and that you might know. And the implication is that if you don't comprehend, if you don't know, you will not be able to be all that God wants you to be. And so we need to make sure that we grasp what Paul is praying. When he says to comprehend, he means to grasp, to understand, to perceive, to apprehend. It's using your mind to basically lay hold of a subject matter. It's what every teacher desires of their students, not just that they're physically there, but that their minds are grasping the subject matter. And Paul is saying, I'm praying for you, Ephesians. I'm bowing my knees to the Father because I want you to comprehend. And not only comprehend, he says, I want you to know. And that's the word that's related to experience. And he wants them to know by experience, by living day in and day out. But he wants them to be knowledgeable Christians. He wants them to know something experientially, and he wants them to know something intellectually, using their minds. And the good news, my friends, is that it's possible for us to know and to comprehend this subject matter that Paul is talking about. It's not beyond any of our ability because we're Christians and because we have a relationship with God. You have the ability to be able to comprehend and to know what Paul will be talking about in these verses. And so that's important to keep in mind. And the reason why is that when the Christian gets saved, God does something in that person's life. He does really many things. There are many blessings. Too many to name. But at the end of verse 17, Paul talks about the fact that these Christians have been rooted and grounded in love. Think about that for a moment. He's saying that something happened to you when you got saved. That you have been rooted and grounded. And it continues to be the case. You're continually rooted and grounded. It's interesting that Paul mixes his metaphors. The, the word root, rooted, comes from the agricultural word, world. And the word founded or grounded comes from the architectural world. But Paul can do that because he's being carried along by the Holy Spirit and he can do what God wants him to do. Some of us, we shouldn't do that when we're writing. We shouldn't mix up our metaphor. But Paul does that. He says, you Christians have been rooted. And you Christians have been grounded. And when I think about being rooted, I think about the roots of a tree. 
I don't know about you, but basically, Marlene and I, every house that we purchase, we've had to deal with trees. Trees that have deep roots, trees that have long roots. And unfortunately, those trees are always in danger of messing up the cement. And I learned long ago, I learned uh, from a particular individual who dealt with trees. He says, when it comes to roots and man-made things, guess who wins? The roots always win. They always win. And, And Paul is saying to these Christians at Ephesus, I want you to be rooted in the soil of love. I want your life to go deep down within the the love of God, the love that he's speaking of. He wants them to be rooted so that no matter what comes, as Christians, we don't fall away. We don't shift away, but we're rooted. But then he uses another word. He says, I'm praying that you will also be grounded. That's an architectural word. The noun form of it is used in chapter 2, verse 20, when Paul talks about the foundation of the church being apostles and prophets and the cornerstone being Jesus Christ. And so Paul is saying, I want you to be founded and grounded on the slab of love. And he's saying the reality is God did that when he saved you. You entered into a relationship with love, and it continues. But I want you to know, Paul said, that if you're rooted and grounded, then you have the possibility to comprehend and to know. Only Christians have been rooted and grounded. And only Christians can apprehend and understand what Paul talks about here. He wants them rooted. He wants their lives deeply in the soil of what? Love. And he wants them, their lives to be built on the foundation or the slab of love. Love is to play such a crucial, important part in the Christian's life. Now, Paul, in the book of Ephesians, thus far, in chapters 1, 2, and 3, he's used the word love. And I just want to kind of step you through some of the things that he said about love to help us to see the broad range of meaning that love has. Paul says in chapter 1, verse 4, that in love, we have been marked off beforehand to be adopted as sons and daughters. That was done in love. He says in chapter 1, verse 15, we looked at that. Paul spoke of the love of these Christians for one another. Paul says, I've heard. I've heard, Ephesians, not only about your faith in the Lord Jesus, but I heard about your love toward all the brothers. And then in chapter 2, verse 4, that wonderful chapter that talks about how we once were dead in trespasses and sins, but we're now made alive. How did that happen? Paul says in chapter 2, verse 4, that it was because of God's great love with which he loved us that we experience 
the new birth. If you're a child of God, if you're a new creature in Christ, it's not because you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps. It's because of God's great love with which he loved you and me, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins. And God intervened in our life and saved us and raised us and seated us. That's love. And then when you go on in chapter 4, 5, and 6, Paul talks about the fact that you are to show forbearance to one another in love. I don't like that verse. I don't know about you. Maybe you guys are good at it, but that's a hard verse. To put up with one another in love. That's what you're to do toward me. If I offend you, if I hurt you or whatever, you're to put up. Same way with you. I'm to put up forbearance with one another in love. We are to speak the truth in love. Some of us speak the truth, but ain't in love. But speak the truth in love. That The body of Christ is built up in love. Paul commands Christians to walk in love just as Jesus also loved us. And who can forget the verses, husbands, not once, not twice, but three times. God has to command husbands, wake up, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Love your wife like you love your own body. And then Paul finishes his letters and says, this letter to the Ephesians says, grace and peace and love to all of you, to you who love Christ with an incorruptible love. So the word love is prominent in this book. It's all throughout Ephesians. And, and the word love can mean love for God or Christ. It can mean love for one another. Or it can mean God's love or Christ's love for us. And so people wrestle with that. I take it that what Paul is talking about when he's saying being rooted and grounded in love, he's saying be rooted and grounded in the love that Jesus Christ has for you. And the point that he makes is Christ loved you. Christ loved you. And be rooted in that love. Be grounded and built upon that love. And in verse 19, he's going to say, I want you to know the love of Christ. Not love toward Christ, but Christ's love toward you and toward me. And so it's possible for us to comprehend. It's possible for us to know. Because the Christian has been rooted and grounded in love. But that doesn't mean that just because we're rooted and grounded in love, that it's automatic that we will know Christ's love. Paul uses a little word in verse 18 when he says, may be able. He says, Ephesians, I'm crying out to the Father. That not only will he 
strengthen you spiritually, but that he may be able. And what that lets us know that there's no way we can comprehend Christ's love. There's no way we can know Christ's love unless we are enabled and empowered by God himself. When, when Paul prays this prayer, he's saying, I'm praying that God may be able, that he would strengthen you, that he will strengthen you, that he will empower you, that he would give you the ability to comprehend and to know this love. But don't miss that vital point. You and I will never, ever grasp and understand this love without God enabling us, without God empowering us. And that's why Paul is going to God. It's God who makes it possible for you and for me to be knowledgeable, to be able to comprehend to know. Can't do it in our own strength, our own ability. It takes an act of God. Even though we've been rooted and grounded in love, and that makes it possible for us to know the love of Christ and to comprehend it, we still need God to be at work in our life. And we still need to be doing what Paul does, crying out to God and saying, God, give me the ability, give me the power, give me the enablement to know the love of Christ. But there's something else that we could easily miss here. We've seen the fact that it's possible that we can know and comprehend Christ's love. We know that it, it means that we need God to do a work in our life. But there's a little phrase there in verse 18. Paul says, I want you to know the love of Christ. Or I want you to be able to comprehend with all the saints. You remember who the saints are, right? They're the saints and the ain'ts. So either you're a saint or you're an ain't. Either you're saved or you're not. Either you're a believer or you're not. And your relationship with Christ determines that. But Paul says, when I, when I pray this prayer, I'm not just praying it for one individual. Paul is not focusing in here on individual. He's saying, I want this to be true of all the saints. I want every child of God, everyone who names the name of Christ, everyone is a Christian, I want them to know and to comprehend. And this is a joint effort. If you want to know what we should be doing, one of the things we should be doing as a church, Fairview, jointly, we should be striving to be able to comprehend the love of Christ. So often we live our Christian life individually. We act like we're not a part of a family. We act like we're not a member of the body of Christ. 
And so we're doing things on our own, independent. We're lone rangers. We don't believe being a part of a local church is important. So we pick and choose when we come. It doesn't matter because I don't need my brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul says, hogwash. Paul said, you need your fellow members of the body of Christ. Paul says, I'm not just praying for you and you alone. I'm praying that you and all the saints will come to know this love. I want all of them and you to be spiritually great. It should be a joint effort by us at Fairview that collectively we're working toward being spiritually great, what that means in the eyes of God. But the question is, what is it that he wants them to comprehend? What is it that he wants them to know with all the saints? Well, I've said it over and over again. It's the love of Christ. He wants them to know the love of Christ. But let me put it in Paul's words. Because he says in verse 18 that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints. And here's Paul's words. He's telling us what he wants him to know. He says, I want you to know what is the breadth and length and the height and the depth. And he just stops. He doesn't say breadth, length, depth, height of what. He just stops. He's so caught up in whatever his subject matter is. And he's saying, look, I want you to know the breadth of it. I want you to know the length of it. I want you to know the height of it. I want you to know the depth of it. But the question is what? I take it that it's the love of Christ. That he wants us to know and comprehend the love of Christ. It's breadth, it's length, it's height, and it's depth. And when Paul uses these four terms, you could use them collectively. And what all he's simply saying is, I want you to know how Christ loves you. And I want you to know how great and immense Christ's love for you is. He's talking about the greatness of Christ's love. He's talking about the immensity of Christ's love, the magnitude of Christ's love, not in general, but toward us. He loves you, my friends. And for the believer, you can stand solid on the fact that Jesus Christ loves you and doesn't love you in a piecemeal way, but, but his love for you can be seen together and individually. And so I want us to look a little bit at, at the particulars of Christ's love for us. The breadth of Christ's love speaks of how wide, how broad, the love of Christ is. That is, it extends from side to side. You know, we, we can try to stretch open our arms. That's limited. Because in reality, when Paul uses these four terms, it's like he's taking his measuring tape and said, let me measure Christ's love for you. 
<laughs> and basically, when he brings out the measuring, the measuring tape is not sufficient. So the only thing I can do is talk about Christ's love in terms of dimensions. And so we have the four dimensions of Christ's love. And that first dimension is the breadth of it. How wide and how broad the love of Christ is. And the Ephesians would understand this. Because early in chapter 2, Paul says the breadth of Christ's love made it possible for Jews and Gentiles to be included in the family of God. It couldn't get more radical than that as far as opposite Jews and Gentiles. That would be like going back in the days of slavery and saying to the enslaved that in the body of Christ, not only is it you, but it's your slave masters if they're saved. It's like during the time of history in our nation, the conflict between black and white. Well, the love of Christ is wide enough to include black and white and brown and yellow. That's how wide the love of Christ is. It can reach any nationality. It can reach any person, regardless of your class. Now, in this book, Paul talks about fathers. He talks about parents. He talks about children. He talks about husbands. He talks about wives. He talks about slaves. And he talks about masters. The love of Christ is broad enough, it's wide enough, that anybody from those groups can be saved and be a part of the family of God. That's the love of Christ. Government's not going to be able to do that. You can look toward a Republican or a Democrat or whoever at. They're not going to be able to have that kind of impact. But Christ's love is so wide, so broad, that no one has to be excluded. The length of the love of Christ refers to how long it is. It's kind of picturing something going that way, length forward, but also looking back and looking backwards. As far back as you want to go, as far forward as you want to go, that describes Christ's love toward you and me and the people of God. So what that's saying is there'll never ever be a time or a period when the love of Christ is not a reality for you, Christian. I don't care how messed up your life is. I don't care how much you're in the dumps. I don't care how difficult and hard life is. The love of Christ never stops toward believers. It goes all the way to eternity past to eternity future. To put it in the words of Ephesians, Paul says, before the foundation of the world, uh, you were chosen. You were selected for salvation. Paul said, I go all the way back and I see the love of Christ. There it is, choosing me. Before I even came into existence, before the foundation of the world. And Paul says, when I throw it forward, I see the love of Christ where believers are seated 
in the heavenlies as displays of God's grace throughout all eternity. That's the length of the love of Christ. Can never be separated from it. That's the length of it. But then there's the height of Christ's love. And I'm not talking about just the idea of height, but really, literally, the heights. Not Fairview Heights, but that Fairview's included. But it's really the heights, as far up as you want to go, to the heavens, to the heavenlies. And you can keep going and going and going. The love of Christ is there. So when we die, we don't get separated from the love of Christ. We've had funerals here. Just had Steve Holsey's funeral. Maynard Taylor, Eleanor Williams, my mom, others, they've experienced death. But when they die, when they die, they aren't all of a sudden outside of the realm of the love of Christ. They're in heaven right now. And Jesus is showing his love to them while they're in heaven. That's the love of Christ. That's how high it goes. And then Paul ends up by saying and speaking of the death of the love of Christ. That is how deep it goes. And he's talking about not what you see above the surface, but how much it goes down under the surface. The the love of Christ keeps going down and down and down, and it reaches down to the pits of hell and, and rescues men and women and boys and girls from their sins. That's the love of Christ that does that. It's not you sharing the gospel. It's not your articulate presentation. It's the love of Christ. And it reaches we sing that song about the blood of Christ. It reaches to the lowest valley and to the highest mountain. But it's the love of Christ that does that. So I don't know where you are, believer. I don't know what you're struggling with. But there's no way that you can be able to escape the love of Christ. He loves you. Even in your sin. As a believer, he loves you. And some of our sins are wicked and evil and vile to the extent of it. But Christ loves us. And that's why Paul could say in Romans 8, verses 35 to 39, there's nothing. It's not death, death, our height that can separate us from the love of Christ. I don't understand that. I don't know how Christ can love me like that. And so I can resonate with the song that talks about how deep the love of Christ is. I can resonate with the fact that as individuals before we got saved, We were messed up. We were jacked up. We were in sin. And the songwriter says, I was sinking deep in sin. Far 
from the peaceful shore. Very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me, now safe am I. Love, the love of Christ lifted me. Love lifted me when nothing else could help. The love of Christ lifted me. These are the four dimensions of love that Paul wants us to know. He's saying, I'm praying that you will comprehend these four dimensions of Christ's love, the breadth, the length, the height, the depth. But you know what? Paul says there's another dimension. There's a fifth dimension. And he ain't talking about the singing group. Okay? But there is a fifth dimension. And he talks about that in verse 19. He says in verse 19, not only do I want you to comprehend the love of Christ, the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, but I want you to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Did you hear that? He wants us to know the unknowable. He wants us to grasp that which can't be grasped. He wants us to understand that which can't be understood. He says, I, I, I want you to know the love of Christ, that is Christ's love for you. I want you to know that. But, but I'm here to tell you that this love that Christ has for you surpasses knowledge. It surpasses understanding. And so what he's trying to let us to know is that this love is so immeasurable, is so great, is so magnificent that you and I will never ever in this lifetime be able to put our heads, our minds around it. All we can simply do is as what Paul said, God, give me the ability to know the unknowable with regards to the love of Christ. And that means that each and every step of my life, I can continue to grow in knowing the love of Christ. There'll never be a time, no amount of degrees, no amount of years as a Christian, where I can finally kick back and say, you know what, I know the love of Christ. No. And some of us need to stop acting like we do know the love of Christ. And get with it as far as growing and asking God to help us to know the love of Christ. There's a lot of things about the love of Christ that we just won't know and understand and comprehend. The late Andre Crouch said it in his song. He said, I don't know why Jesus loved me. I don't know why he cared. I don't know why he sacrificed his life. But oh, I'm glad. So glad he did. He left his mighty throne in glory 
to bring us redemption's story. Then he died, but he rose again. Oh, but I'm glad, so glad he did. I don't know. Maybe some of you know why Christ loved you, but I don't know why he loved me. I can come up with a number of reasons why he shouldn't love me. I don't know why, but I do know this. I do know that the eternal Son of God left heaven's glory and was conceived in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit, that he was born on Christmas Day, that he lived a perfect life. And even though he had no sin, they crucified him, they killed him, they nailed him to the cross, they buried him. But on the third day, he arose from the dead. And he showed himself with many infallible proofs. And then he ascended back to his father. And right now, he's seated at the right hand of God. I don't know why he loved me, but I'm glad. I'm so glad that he did. And Paul is wanting us to just somehow, some way, understand Christ's love for us. Let me close with this. The late James Montgomery Boyce, he was a pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. He tells this true story of when Napoleon's armies opened a prison that had been used for the Spanish Inquisition. They found the remains of a prisoner who had been incarcerated for his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. When they found the remains, all that was there were the, the skeleton, the bones, and chained to the ankle was a chain because he was incarcerated. Body had decayed, nothing but bones, but there was the metal shackle around this prisoner's ankle. And he was in prison because of his love for Jesus Christ. As they kept searching in this dungeon that was beneath the ground, they found next to the body a drawing, something etched in the stone. And it was the cross. And the words in Spanish were written related to that cross. At the top of the cross, it said, height. At the bottom of the cross, it said, death. To the left, it says, width. And to the east, it said, length. The cross is just one of those many ways that tells us about the love of Christ. It doesn't tell us all, just like a compass, with the north, the south, east, west. It doesn't tell us all. Paul says that this love of Christ is so amazing, so magnificent, that it's unknowable, but you can still know the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of it. And so, my friends, my prayer for us is that we'll be spiritually great. Not in the eyes of the world, but in the eyes of God. And if you and I are going to be spiritually great, you must be able to comprehend 
the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ. And we're going to need God to enable us to know the love of Christ, which is unknowable, which is a past understanding. But that's what spiritual greatness is. Spiritual greatness is not how many degrees you have. It's not how many awards you've won as a Christian. Spiritual greatness is that you have come to comprehend and to know the amazing love of Christ toward believers. And so we need to be praying for each other. We need to do what Paul did for the Ephesians. We need to pray for each other. God, help me. Help me to be able to comprehend with all my brothers and sisters in Christ your love. Help me to know the unknowable. I pray that we will pray this prayer for each other. And I encourage you, go back to this second petition. Keep milking, keep pulling to to the point where these words are part of you. It's resonating in your heart. Because I know what the enemy wants to do. He wants you to forget it as soon as you leave this building. So let's pray together. Father God, we come to you knowing that we have one who's the arch enemy of our soul. He doesn't mind necessarily if we hear the word, but he wants to make sure that we don't do anything with the word. He wants to snatch the word out of our hearts. He wants to choke it. He wants to make sure that the word does not bear any fruit. Father, help us not to be a tool in Satan's hands so that we easily do forget your word. Help us today and throughout this week to go back to this petition and to cry out to you and to be praying that we would be able to comprehend and to know the the love that you have toward us. Thank you that you've made it possible because we're rooted and grounded in love. Thank you that you're willing to enable us and empower us. And thank you, Father, that this is not an isolated goal for just an individual Christian. Father, my prayer for every member of Fairview, that all of us will be able to comprehend and know your love toward us. Help us to meditate on that. Help us to think deeply on how much you love us. It is mind-boggling. It is staggering. It's beyond comprehension. But give us the ability as much as possible to know and to apprehend and comprehend the love of Christ for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.